You're now listening to episode 98 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Castelli joined here today with Keith Nelson and Michael Migliaccio, co-founders of Dual City Investments, a real estate investment company that runs a fund of assets primarily for friends and family. In today's episode, we discuss how Keith and Mike started Dual City Investments, how they went from single asset syndications to a fund structure, the different asset classes in their fund, their response to COVID-19, and much more. Have you heard of the Multifamily Investor Nation Summit coming up on June 11th through the 13th? It's a three-day information-packed virtual event for multifamily investors with over 1,000 attendees and over 50 speakers. You'll hear from experts on finding deals, raising capital, underwriting strategies, selecting markets, and so much more. I have also been invited back to present on tax strategies for multifamily investors. To grab your tickets, head on over to www.apartmentevent.com and use promo code Thomas to get $100 off. Whether you're a seasoned vet or just getting started, this is an event that you won't want to miss. Again, join me at the Multifamily Investor Nation Summit by visiting www.apartmentevent.com today and use promo code Thomas for $100 off your tickets. I'm looking forward to seeing you there, but for now, we're going to jump right into today's episode. Keith, Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Can you give our listeners a little bit about each of your backgrounds? I'll let Mike go first. He's most likely going to be longer than my answer. (laughs) Uh, Well, thanks for taking the time to interview us, and uh, we appreciate the opportunity. But as far as my background, I'll go back to college. I've got an accounting degree and um, always been entrepreneurial had a couple of different businesses coming through school, one of which I had for a good number of years was in a landscaping business. And as I moved through college and into the workforce, I kind of developed two dreams. One was to get the job that I currently have and been holding for the last 20 plus years, which is uh, an agent with FBI. And another one was to become a manager of a hotel on a Caribbean island. So I still have that dream, but uh, I'd rather own the hotel and manage it, you know. Through the 80s, I also started developing an interest in real estate. And I think that's a pretty quick overview of, of my background. Oh, that was quicker than I thought, but still going to be longer than my answer. <laughs> I was a serial entrepreneur, uh, joined the Drug Enforcement Administration. That's where I met Mike. After that, I, I left to for another entrepreneurial venture, ended up being a teacher for a couple of years. And then me and Mike formed uh, Dual City in 2015. Awesome, awesome. So, how did you guys come together to form uh, Dual City Investments, and what did you guys first start investing in once you started? Well, like I just said, we uh, we worked together um, in Manhattan, uh, strike force and law enforcement. So, Mike had you know the ambition like I had. I just had the balls to make the switch quicker than him, but. That's how it got started, and um, we started investing in multifamily when the market was, you know, a lot softer than it was uh, a few 
four weeks ago. Yeah, Keith and I spent a lot of time doing surveillances and we were in cars for 15, 16 hours a day. And we talked about a lot of different things, but a lot of the things we talked about were business related. And in addition to that, on the entrepreneurial side, and one of those things led us to co-authoring Mistops. Yeah, it's a great book. I started reading it and I have to get a chance to finish that book up. When you first started out, you kind of went big, right, for multifamily from the beginning. Um, when you first started Dual City, where'd you get the capital for the initial investments? Um, I, I'll take that one. But and thanks, Tom, for being the other person that read that book. <laughs> we yeah, we we started off with a twelve unit complex in South Carolina. You know, after I got down here and one of my other ventures failed, that you know, I started calling Mike and said, you know, I know you're always interested in real estate, and in Greenville, it's just going wild you know, get some people together and chip in and buy it. And that's what he did. He reached out to his friends and coworkers. And I reached out to a couple family members and we just split it equally. And that was our first uh, syndication. And Tom uh, and Brandon, we did look at other things when we started. It wasn't that we had the plan necessarily to go right into multifamily. I think we're extremely happy that we did, but we did look at some other things. And, and Keith, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we looked at section eight, we looked at mobile home parks and we looked at flipping like everybody else. But I'm very thankful that Keith came across a realtor that was uh, as active as any of them down there, more than likely. And um, we kind of just took the property that she brought to us. And that was the, the beginning. Yeah, we got real lucky um, with the property we did buy because, you know, being so green, not knowing anything about real estate, we took the brokers OM as you know verbatim you know we thought everything in there was the truth and um you know obviously now it's different but even though it wasn't as accurate as it could have been it was still a decent property so when you guys first started out where did you get the capital to fund these deals through friends and family you know, our network in new york it wasn't that big of our first deal i think was five hundred fifty thousand or something it wasn't that much money you know we all all chipped in. Actually, that was my entire savings was my share that I put in that. But uh, fortunately, it worked out and it snowballed from there. So you said it snowballed from there. What are your assets under management look like today? Well, after that, we portfolioed that with another property in that town. Um, we ended up rolling out. Of, you know, We followed the market. We kept moving investors, giving them their returns and going to buy bigger and bigger products. Um, now we totally probably have like 50 million maybe under control. Um, more than half of that's in our, our fund that we created two years ago. And, um, you know, the good thing about us is we, we don't have to go and raise capital from new investors. We kind of keep going back to the well and just growing organically, you know, uh, word of mouth recommendations, stuff like that. What was behind the decision? I know you guys did a number of single asset syndications before you switched to the fund model. And you know, it's funny because it's a lot of it, syndicators I talk to, one of their dreams is to actually go ahead and create the fund to get away from the single asset syndications because they have to continually raise the money time in and time again to get those funded. What was uh, behind your decision to go with the fund model? And how did you know that it was time to do that? Yeah. So in addition to the assets we have under control, we probably disposed of another 25, 30 million. We're big on, you know, if the market's there and we could yield our return, you know, five or 10 year return, you know, and next week after we close the property, we're going to do that. So we had 
probably, I don't know, eight or nine different syndications going at one time. And like one or two were always the problem, right? They were, they were the ones that needed more capital or more attention and they were taking up you know, 80% of our time. And even though we had, you know, six or seven assets that were doing great, these two were really stressing us out. And, you know, we, we had different investors and different ones. And I was like, man, if we could just use some of the cash flow from over there and fix the issues over here or carry it until we can, you know, move it, that would be great. And that's kind of where the, the fund, you know, concept popped up. And it was really to relieve, um, management stress on us. Um, that was the, the first purpose, but now operating the fund for the last two years and going through this downturn with the assets that we have, you know, we couldn't have done it a better way. I don't think, um, you know, the diversification that we have, the cross cash flow that we have going, it's really, it's really helping us out. And I think it's going to give us a leg up when this whole um, COVID-19 goes away. And Tom and Brandon, I think there was another thing that I had from my perspective as a capital raise. Um, when we were working with some of the smaller investors early on, and we had one or two or three opportunities that presented themselves at the same time, investors had to choose between one or two of those investments. And it, they were kind of torn. They wanted to get into self-storage. They wanted to get into multifamily. They might have wanted to get into both. And this afforded them the opportunity to be able to do that. By building a basket, we were able to give some of the smaller investors an opportunity to invest in both of those assets or, or multi-groups you know, groups of assets with one investment. So in addition to what Keith said, which was probably the primary reason from my perspective, raising capital, I continually heard, well, now I have to choose between one or the other. And we actually had investors fly down to the Carolinas from the New York uh, market and meet with Keith view different properties and then make a decision. But with the fund concept, we would be able to offer them a basket in which they can participate in both of those assets or multi-assets. Uh, it makes a ton of sense. It gives both the diversity and the ability for people to kind of get access to multiple investments by just making one single investment in the fund. That that leads me to another good question. And as what are the, some of the assets that you currently have in the fund that you created? Oh, uh, yeah. Sure. We have uh, multifamily, we have self-storage, um, triple net office, we have a boutique hotel, and um, we even have some uh, improved single family uh, home lots that we flipped into um, from another asset. So knock on wood, uh, we've all been doing good up until this point. Yeah, I was about to ask, how, how has the hotel been doing? The hotel's been good. We've got a great manager. It is a... Uh... A remote location, but it is also a location that is uh, sought after from the region. You know, regionally, a lot of people know about it. And because, I guess, more probably because of the size or lack of size, we're able to manage and get a good percentage of occupancy filled despite having, you know, the reduced travel or, or uh, restrictions. And a hotel is considered essential right now. And we've had people continually uh, adding reservations and making reservations. Uh, so right now, thank God it's doing well. Plus it's a seasonal hotel. And generally speaking, these last couple months have been at slow time. So it hasn't crushed us too much. Now, if it goes into the summer, we might be having a different conversation, but like Mike said, it's not very big. You know, the, the units have 
full kitchens and all that stuff. So, um, you know, it could even be a getaway from the people from the city. Awesome. All right. So talk to us about some advantages that you have experienced in running the fund. And then also what are some disadvantages? Uh, like I said, it's, you know, diversification and, you know, cross cash flow are biggest advantages that I can think of. Mike, can you think of any other advantages that it provides? I think going back to what I said before, it's really just gives people the opportunity to get into a basket without having to choose. Um, one of the advantages from capital raising too is uh, it gives you a period of time to raise capital. You know, sometimes we had at some instances through the capital raise, we had uh, properties that were being added to the fund. Other times we had to add properties to the fund. So from a, a capital raise standpoint, it's good for investors to know what's being invested in. And then if I can lead into the disadvantages, that also could be a little bit of a challenge. Sometimes they want to know what's in there as opposed to saying, hey, I'm going to invest in X before I know that it's uh, added to the fund. Yeah, I would probably agree with that as the biggest disadvantage. When you, it was, We started a blind pool fund and um, our initial raise was $5 million And to go out and ask people for money and, you know, well, what am I putting it into? You know, I oh, don't worry about it. We'll find something good for you. It worked with a lot of investors that we've had experience with, but you know, even people that were referred to us by family and friends, they still wanted to see an asset, you know, get in there. And then the race was slow in the beginning. It got progressively faster as we added more and more property. So when they saw there was a return being spit out and you know, no one had a problem writing a check, but you know, um, I think we could do it better the next time and we will do it better the next time. So I, I think, uh, Next time, we're, we're going to have a couple syndicated assets that we'll be able to group together so we could go out, raise for each one, not be in a time crunch of raising capital, but also have those investors know that, hey, we're going we're gonna to combine all these in a fund you know, uh, 12 months down the line. So, so how do you have that conversation with people? Like, Let's say that they, they ask you, well, what am I investing in? What strategies have you guys employed? Or, or how do you talk to potential investors about that? I think we'll generally look at our track record and we explain what we've done historically, um, what we generally look at and the due diligence process that we go through. Uh, Keith can talk a little bit more about that, but we you know, focus on preservation of capital and historically we've shown that. We've been through a couple of investments, probably like everyone else that have maybe going into them, we thought that they should perform better. And for whatever market reasons, um, we may have had a challenge or two, but we were able to overcome those and showing the newer investor historical returns and what processes we go through in purchasing, which is obviously where you make the money, and then managing. uh, I think that gives them a level of assurance. In addition to that, we can always give referrals that will uh, historically highly recommend uh investing with us it also doesn't hurt that mike carries a gun for a living <laughs> yeah i only displayed it once so <laughs> yeah i remember i remember the one of the first not not the first time i remember we were at an event in new york city and mike just has the badge with him which is always good um but kind of switching gears just a little bit you know one of the things that i wanted to ask keith when i had you guys on the podcast was about what where keith thought we were in the market because i know keith you know you're a broker in south carolina you see a lot of deals come across your desk and you interact with a lot of different people that are you know well known in the space but now, obviously, that everything's came to a stop with COVID nineteen. You know, what have you guys done 
in response to the COVID-19 crisis so far? Well, I mean, as far as on the managerial side of things, we tried to get ahead of it, you know, reached out to our tenants ahead of time and gave them the resources that, um, you know, the government was providing as far as, uh, you know, the unemployment and the, we have, we've been applying for those SBA, you know, pay period loans to keep as much as our staff on as we can. So that's how we've prepared for it. I don't think really anybody knows what's going to happen. You know, it's our second week going into April and so far our rent collections have been pretty strong. So as far as managerial, that's where we stand. As far as opportunistic, man, I think a lot of people think we're going to have a quick recovery when this thing ends. I am in a little bit different mindset. I was just talking to Mike earlier today about it. I, I think we're going to have a lot slower recovery, but in any economy, there's always, there's always opportunities if you know where to look. Right. And, and that's where we put, 95% of our effort is finding those right opportunities and, you know, setting it up for, um, you know, worst case scenarios. I've never, never uh, put in my plan, you know, a, a pandemic and never thought we'd see one, but whenever we buy an asset, it's all right. If, you know, 2008 happens again, what does this look like? And, um, you know, what's our plan B and our plan C? So far that formula has worked for us and um, we hope to get out of this unscathed and to just, get into the market as quickly as we can and find those, those other opportunities. And I, I think one of the other things that Keith may not have really touched on is that uh, with the conservative nature, uh, one of our partners, Joey, he manages a lot of the uh, back end and the bookkeeping and accounting. And uh, when we look at the cash flow from the assets, we're pretty conservative. So we've got reserves and I'll speak to the hotel in particular. We, have got sufficient funds in the accounts to manage for a period of time. We had continually discussed, you know, the thought of paying bonuses and, and because we're so conservative, we think that, you know, keeping a level of reserves gives us the ability to weather some of these storms. Now, again, as Keith alluded to, nobody knows how long this is going to last, but we are working with the local bankers just to stay in touch with them and working with the tenants to make sure that, they're doing everything that they can do to get the assistance that they're going to need, but working with the bank as well, just to uh, keep them up to date as to how we're doing and, and see what other opportunities are available for us to put ourselves and our investors in the best position to weather the storm. Makes sense. Makes sense. And hopefully this whole thing passes over you know, pretty quickly and things can get back to normal. But ultimately, there might be some good buying opportunities, hopefully, in the not so distant future for real estate that people will be able to capitalize on. But switching gears again, we have to ask this question on every single podcast we do. This is the Real Estate CPA Podcast. What are some of the tax strategies that either of you have used personally or Dual City has utilized to help minimize taxes on the investments that you do make? We're pretty conservative on, you know, the fun side of things. Uh, so nothing crazy there. Personally, I've I've used uh, the bonus depreciation um, a couple times actually. That helped me out personally a lot. But uh, I know it's a fairly new strategy um, that uh, has been used in the last couple of years. But uh, you know, taxman's always got to get paid. So I'm not a fan of 1031s, but I do like the bonus depreciation if you could do that and then have, you know, at the beginning of the year and have the whole year to tax plan for you're going to do next year. I think that's worked for me um, and my partner down here tremendously. 
Interesting. So you guys, you guys have not run any sort of cost segs or any sort of 100% bonus depreciation through the fund. We have not, because I know when you dilute, when you sell those assets, you're gonna have to pay the tax man on the back end. So um, we haven't done any of that, and plus the assets we have aren't really set up that great for all that stuff. But no, we haven't for the fund. I just don't want the phone calls from the investors. You know, at the end of it, we close it down, saying, "Why do I, why do I owe this much in taxes?" So I've been through that before in some single syndications, and uh, I'd rather just keep it conservative. And, you know, we have talked to our accountant about cost segregation, and I think any instance where it would make sense, we would use it. But depending on the hold period or the makeup of the investors, um, we'll take everything into account with the accountant's advice, and then we'll make a decision on a case-by-case basis. That's interesting because that that's a departure from what we normally hear people say, right? Like everybody does the cost studies, everybody does 100% bonus depreciation. The idea is that if you accelerate the losses, you can claim the losses. And from a time value money perspective, you come out ahead even when you do sell and pay those taxes on the back end. But it sounds like you guys are thinking more about the investor and simplifying it for the investor. You don't want the potential headache on the back end where the investor comes to you and says, hey, why do I owe this all of this tax? You, you don't even want to have that, uh, that conversation. Do any of your investors ask you how to, uh, what sort of strategies you guys are going to be utilizing from a tax perspective? Yeah, we do. But most of our investors are W-2 employees. Ah, uh, got it. Okay. No, they're, so they're probably going to benefit from the losses anyway. Correct. That's the reason. Well, then I guess one important thing is to know who your investors are, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I totally understand the tax side things. You definitely do got to keep your investors in mind. Um, that's something that, like Brennan had said before, we've not heard from a lot of people. Uh, and I think it's something that syndicates do have to keep in mind is who, who are your investors and making sure that the strategies that you're, that you're pulling a trigger on make sense for your investors at the end of the day. The question we always ask everybody who comes on the show also is, what is one piece of technology that Dual City cannot operate without? Mike, I'm doesn't, gonna... Mike doesn't know how to use email, so I'm, I'm going to take that <laughs> off the table. <laughs> I'm old-fashioned, guys. I'll, I'll jump in real fast from the investor perspective. If you need something, I would say I, I use LinkedIn, but really, this is a personal business. This is building trust. This is building relationships, like you just said getting to know investors. So I hate to you know go against the grain with this, but to me, it's face-to-face, it's talking to people, it's being old-fashioned. And technology, to me, uh, aside from texting and emailing, getting in touch with people, scheduling meetings, it's a mechanism to lead to the meeting. That's from you know raising capital and building relationships standpoint. I would say, um, for me, it's probably on a prospecting side of things. You know, we use software like Yardi and CoStar, Reese. I think the, the more of that you have and the more money you put into the prospecting side of things, the better your returns are in the end. So for me, it's those type of, uh, that type of software. Makes sense. Uh, those, those softwares are excellent for uncovering those, those hidden gems. Um, what would be the best way for our listeners to learn more about uh, either of you and Dual City Investments? I would say they could just go to the website and or, you know, our phone numbers are on there. Just give us a call or shoot us an email and we can discuss whatever. Um, DualCityInvestments.com. 
All right. So we'll go ahead and link that up in the show notes for everybody. If you want to check out dualcityinvestments.com, uh, go ahead and check it out. Just as a full disclosure, everybody listening, I am a, an investor in Dual City Investments. Uh, so if you, if you see my face over there, don't be shocked. That's right, Tom. You expect that dividend checked in April, buddy. <laughs> um, you know what? If, if I may also, I would say that um, if anybody is interested in learning more about us and you want to get an unbiased opinion, we're happy to talk with investors about giving referrals. That's how we've grown up until this point, And that's how we expect to continue to grow through this and into the future. Awesome. Awesome. So just for everybody listening, go ahead. You want to check out, learn more about Dual City, dualcityinvestments.com. You can go ahead and shoot Mike or Keith an email and they'll be in touch with you. But I want to thank you guys again for coming to the show. Excellent episode. And uh, we'll look forward to releasing it. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Tom. Stay healthy. If you haven't already heard, the IRS has moved both the individual tax filing deadline and the payment deadline to July 15th, 2020 to help combat the impact of the coronavirus and as many professional tax preparers and firms have been disrupted. Luckily, as a virtual CPA firm, the Real Estate CPA has been able to maintain operations with little disruptions. If your tax preparer has been affected and you're eager to have your tax returns prepared and filed to receive your refund, we may be able to help. Visit www.therealestatecpa.com slash become dash client to fill out a brief web form and we'll discuss how we may be able to help you achieve that goal. Stay safe out there and thank you for listening to the Real Estate CPA podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.